Good morning, Bridge. Pastor Brandon is out of town, so all you got is me. Before we get started, kids, you can go ahead and head downstairs to Bridge Kids. Your teachers should be waiting in the back. Parents, in case you missed the email, Bridge Kids was not originally scheduled for today, but due to the mature nature of today's passage, we wanted to provide the kids with an age-appropriate lesson. Today we'll be walking through Proverbs 5. You can go ahead and turn there now. And in a couple weeks, we'll be looking at the end of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7. And those two sections, chapters 5 and 7, are the longest passages on marriage, adultery, and sex in the book of Proverbs. Now, both of these two chapters in Proverbs are dealing with pretty much the same themes. But because these are such big themes, we'll be taking a different approach to the passage each week. A couple weeks from now, in Proverbs 6 and 7, we'll be emphasizing what God has to say about sexual immorality and purity in general. But this week, in Proverbs 5, we'll be focusing much more narrowly on what God has to say about adultery and faithfulness in marriage. Bridge, I don't think I have to tell you that this is a heavy topic. And I'm well aware that this probably isn't exactly what you woke up this morning wanting to think about. But hear me when I say that all of us need to hear the warnings and instructions in today's passage. And by all, I mean all. For those who are right now on the path of unfaithfulness, Proverbs is going to say run. Run hard in the other direction. For those who are faithfully married, Proverbs is going to say, don't let your guard down. Take time now to strengthen your marriage. And singles, you unmarried folk, you're not off the hook. Don't tune me out just yet. Three quick reasons why. Reason number one, if you hope someday to be faithfully married, now is the time to lay the foundation. Reason number two, even if you don't want to get married, even if you plan on serving the Lord your whole life as a single person, which, which again, Paul says is better. One of the ways you serve the Lord as a single person is by helping your married brothers and sisters strengthen their marriages. Why? Because Paul tells us in Hebrews 13, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. <clears throat> single brothers and sisters, the whole community of God is charged with maintaining the vows of marriage. We married folk need you, need your help to help us hold marriage in honor by all. And finally, reason number three, passages like this are relevant to all believers regardless of marital status. Because as we'll see, when the Bible talks about marriage, it's always talking about a whole lot more than just marriage. More on that later. For now, Bridge, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word from Proverbs 5, starting in verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. 
but in the end she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She doesn't ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she doesn't know it. And now, sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own sister. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Just as in all our previous chapters, this one opens up with the words of a father lecturing his son, warning him about the ways of the forbidden woman. Look at me at verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. So what do we know about this forbidden woman? Her lips drip honey, and her speech is smooth as oil. In other words, she's very persuasive. Her words are very attractive. But the father warns his son that while at first she may seem very desirable, all is not as it appears. Verse 4, but in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to shale. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander she doesn't know it. Though at first sweet as honey, in the end, this forbidden woman leads to bitterness. Though at first as smooth as oil, in the end, she's sharp as a two-edged sword. And the father says, son, she's walking to her own grave. She's going down to Sheol, to the realm of the dead, to hell. 
She doesn't think about the path of life. She doesn't even know how dead she already is. This is a a terrifying picture, a beautiful cover on top of nothing less than the living dead. She's a zombie. And so if that's what she really is, the father says in verse 7, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Sons, her words sound like honey, but listen to my words. Steer clear. Don't go near. A forbidden woman is dangerous. So who is this forbidden woman? Who is the son being warned about? Is she that kind of girl? You know, the one who wears the wrong sorts of clothes and spends too much time with boys? Maybe. Or is she anyone of the opposite gender? Those walking, talking temptations. Should all men be all wary of all other women? Some people think so. But I think something else is going on here. Throughout the book of Proverbs, the women that we meet are not just women. They embody something else, something greater. Earlier on, we met Lady Wisdom. Wisdom herself, who at the very end of the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 31, is embodied in a woman who brings life and care and honor to everyone around her. In Proverbs, wisdom is a woman, but everyone, both men and women, are called to learn from her, to embody Proverbs 31. And likewise, I think likewise, in a similar way, the forbidden woman that we meet today is not just a woman. Certainly not a specific woman. No, instead she represents the foolishness of the act of adultery itself. She is the folly of infidelity. The forbidden woman is an embodiment of what happens when you are unfaithful in marriage. Because like honey, like oil, adultery seems sweet and smooth, but in the end, it leads to bitterness and pain and ultimately death itself. In this way, the forbidden woman is a warning to both husbands and wives, a warning for all married folks to stay far away, to not even go near it. Because what would it mean to give in? What would be the consequences? Look with me at verse 9. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take the fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. The father's saying, son, if you go down the path of adultery, You'll give your honor to others. The reputation that you took so long to build will be at the brink of utter ruin in a matter of minutes. The best years of your life, your strength, your labors, your legacy, they won't be stolen from you. No, it's you who will have given them away of your own free will. And why? 
for a moment of pleasure, for an instant of gratification. Disease and ruin will consume your flesh and body, and it won't be because you weren't warned. Son, if you stay on the path at the end of your life, you will have only regret. You'll be on your deathbed, and you'll look at yourself, and you'll think, my goodness, what have I done? I've given away the best that I have to strangers. Proverbs says this is what comes of adultery. My guess is that whether you're married, divorced, or single, many of you know firsthand that these are the consequences of unfaithfulness. Unfortunately, in a room this size, I'll bet that for some of you, this is a very bitter reality. Maybe someone close to you, a parent, or a friend, or a neighbor. Maybe they cheated on their spouse, and you watched them live through the fallout. Maybe you're all too familiar with the collateral damage of living in a home with unfaithfulness. The fractured homes, the bitter memories, the broken relationships. Maybe it happened to you. Maybe your spouse was unfaithful and you personally had to walk through the hurt and the pain and the confusion of what to do with all that. That's you, I'm sorry. That's not something I'd wish on anyone. And maybe, maybe this is you. Maybe right now you're caught up in an affair and you're wondering what do I do? How did I get this far? Is it too late? Am I too far gone? If this is you, if you're feeling the kind of remorse and regret that Proverbs is talking about, if you find yourself caught up in the middle of it, don't lose hope. Because today's passage is not a condemnation. It's not a ruling. It's a warning. Proverbs doesn't want to take away your hope. It wants you to wake up. It wants to shake you up and point you towards life. And I can't promise you there won't be consequences. There will. I can't promise you that your marriage will survive. It might not. I can't promise you you won't have regrets at the end of your life. But what I can promise you is that it is always worth it to turn from the path of death and to turn towards God's way. Turn now, and I promise the path of life is still open for you. And if this is something that happened in your past, if you've done things that you're not proud of, but if you've turned, if they're in the past, if you've hurt the people around you, but you've made amends, if you put an end to it, if you brought the truth to light, then take heart. If you belong to Christ, then your sins don't own you. So what if this isn't you? 
What if you've been faithfully married for years and years and you think, that just isn't going to happen, Dominic. I, I wouldn't do that. My spouse wouldn't do that. If that's true of your marriage, that's wonderful. Congratulations. But the fact is that most people don't go into marriage thinking that they're going to be unfaithful. No one thinks it's going to happen until it does. I don't think the book of Proverbs would spend so much time on this topic if it was such an easy thing to avoid. So how do we fight it? Well, I've been married for a little over a year, so I'm kind of an expert. <laughs> no, not, not at all, not at all. Actually, quick show of hands, who here has been married for over five years? Oh, wow. How about over 10? 20? 30? 40? 30, back up. <laughs> Round of applause for the 30s. That's incredible. That's incredible. Praise God. How did you do it? <laughs> How did you do it? Come on. God's grace. Amen. How did you do it? Don't give up. That's incredible. Young couples, I, I encourage you, get a meal, get dinner with one of these older couples. Learn from them. Ask them, how did you do it? How, what can I do now to make it that far? How can I preserve myself against the mistakes and temptations that you faced. There's a fount of wisdom sitting right here in this room. Avail yourself of it. Now, I don't have all that wisdom, but I do have scripture. And so in addition to all of those things, I want to highlight two things that can keep unfaithfulness out of your marriage. Highlight number one, know your weaknesses. There's a book I'd like to recommend entitled Anatomy of an Affair. It's by a man named Dave Carter, who is a pastor at First Evangelical Free Church of Fullerton, California. That's Chuck Swindoll's church, or it used to be. Dave wrote this book after a lifelong ministry of sitting down with couples who have walked through the pain of adultery. And he noticed some common patterns. He says this in the introduction. Over the years, I've heard hundreds of stories from couples struggling with threats to their marriage, ranging from emotionally charged friendships to sexual addiction. All of these inappropriate relationships started with a close call encounter that the individual did not turn from and in some cases actually cultivated, and all of the outcomes were horribly painful. In his ministry, Dave has witnessed firsthand the truth of Proverbs 5. The truth that the path of adultery leads to wasted years, ruined honor, and horrible pain. And with each of these stories, Dave points to one moment, what he calls a close call. That's an old crush messaging you on Facebook. A long night with a coworker on an extended work trip. A 15-minute detour on your way home. Whatever it is, in these situations, the person comes face-to-face -face with temptation, and instead of turning away from it, they give in and even feed into it. And at that point, it's a snowball effect. Once sin has a foothold, it gets harder and harder and harder to turn. 
And so, brothers and sisters, we need to be on guard. We need to know our weaknesses, to know what situation or what kind of person would make you want to do what Proverbs is warning you not to do. What would make you go near the door of the forbidden woman's house? The father says, don't go near it. So what would make you want to do that? Do you recognize your own tendencies? Are you aware of your own soft spots? If not, now is the time to figure that out, to sit down, to pray, to think, who am I? Don't be arrogant. Don't think you're above that. No one is. And then now, in this season, before you even come face to face with temptation, now is the time to commit yourself to saying no to ask God for the strength to turn when temptation comes. As we sang this morning, yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. What does it say? Each victory will help you some others to win. Setting up defenses like these right now, that's an important part of guarding your marriage against unfaithfulness. But the book of Proverbs also highlights a second means of sustaining your marriage. Yes, work on your defenses. Don't go near the forbidden woman's house. But also, the best defense is a good offense. Highlight number two, strengthen your marriage. Strengthen your marriage. Look with me at verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Okay, so we live in a culture where water is just everywhere. Maybe not in California, but everywhere. If you want to take a shower or run the sprinkler, you just turn the spigot and there it is. Unlimited supply. It'll cost you, but it's unlimited. But the book of Proverbs is writing from a culture where water rights are very important. No one's hooked up to the city. Everyone's got well water. Here, Proverbs is giving us what would back then be a pretty common sense picture. Drink from your own cistern, from your own well. And and, and don't just pour out your water in the streets for everyone else to drink from. Duh, of course. Now, obviously, we're not really talking about water here. No, we're talking about love, about intimacy, about emotional closeness, about all the things that belong within a marriage, just like your water belongs in your well. And Proverbs says, don't look for another source of the things that belong in marriage. Don't look for another source of satisfaction. Don't let strangers enjoy what's meant for you and your spouse. Don't go looking for a work wife. Don't feed into an emotional affair. No, instead, Proverbs tells you to drink from your own cistern, to strengthen your marriage. What does that look like? Well, Christy's out of town, and she urged me not to use any personal illustrations. (laughs) So I'll just let Proverbs speak for itself. Verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed, 
and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? To strengthen your marriage, to make it adultery-proof, Proverbs tells you to rejoice in your spouse, to enjoy each other. That means emotionally, taking time every day to talk to each other, to unpack the day, to say, I love you. It also means spiritually, praying with one another, for one another, building each other up in Christ, encouraging one another. And yes, it also means physically, intimately. It means working on your sex life. Now, the Bible is unabashedly sex positive. After all, God made it. But as evangelical Christians, we can sometimes be more shy about sex than the Bible is. I mean, Proverbs isn't embarrassed to say, look, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. That's not a metaphor. (laughs) The Bible is decidedly pro-sex. But it doesn't always have that reputation. Because while the Bible celebrates sex, the Bible also insists that sexual activity has a proper place and a proper purpose. And that runs against the grain of our society. The Bible says that sex is meant to be enjoyed solely within the context of marriage because sex was made for marriage. Now that might seem obvious, but we live in a society in which marriage serves sex instead of the other way around. What do I mean by that? In our society, sex comes first. After all, how else would you know if you were ready for marriage? And then if you get married, and that's a big if, you only stay married so long as the sex is good. And when the world talks about good sex, quote-unquote, it's first and foremost talking about what gratifies your own desires. And so our culture is increasingly questioning the biblical vision of sex. The world asks, isn't being stuck to one person kind of, I don't know, limiting? Shouldn't I be free to love who I want to, when I want to? And so more and more folks see no problem with sex that transgresses the exclusivity and permanence of the marriage covenant. I'm talking about things like promiscuity open marriages, polyamory. These are things that have no place in Christ's body. No, the Bible says that these things lead to death. Now, the reality is that oftentimes, gratifying your own desires seems much more attractive, much easier, sweeter than honey, smoother than oil. Because marriage is hard. And sexual intimacy takes work. The Bible is well aware of that, but it also says it's worth the work. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul tells us, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And watch this, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. 
Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Folks, the Bible cares about sexual intimacy. And both 1 Corinthians and Proverbs tell us that working to find sexual satisfaction with your spouse is an important means of safeguarding your marriage against temptation. And this is all incredibly important. Because more than just avoiding regret, even above loving your spouse, faithfulness in marriage does one final, very important thing. It honors God. Verse 21, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he's led astray. Bridge, God sees all, and his way is the best way. The words of the forbidden woman may be sharp as a two-edged sword, but Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Worship team, you can come back up. God sees all. God knows all our paths. And he doesn't want us to be destroyed by our own sin. He doesn't want us to die for lack of discipline, to be led astray. No. God wants us to choose the path of life to delight in our spouse, to hold marriage in honor, to drink from the flowing streams that he has provided. And that's not just because he said so. These aren't just arbitrary rules to make life difficult for us. No, as we've said, sex has a proper place and a proper purpose, and that's because sex was created as an expression of the intimate one-flesh union of a man and a woman a union that is meant to be exclusive and permanent. How do the traditional wedding vows go? To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. When a husband and wife join with one another in sex, it's more than just for their personal enjoyment. In sex, a man and a woman physically recommit themselves to each other. They tangibly renew their marriage covenant. Sex says, I'm one with you, and I'm in this for the long haul. And when used properly, sex is meant to produce joy, closeness, and even new life. Even children. And yet, on top of all this, there's something even more, something even greater. And what do I mean by that? All throughout Scripture, we see that marital unfaithfulness is tied to spiritual unfaithfulness. Throughout the Bible, God says that our idolatry is a kind of adultery. Our idolatry is a kind of adultery. And that's because sex and marriage in the Bible are never just sex and marriage. They always point to something bigger. Ephesians 5 says this, 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. And now, I, I don't want you to be mistaken in that. Don't think that what Paul is saying is that marriage is like Christ and his church. No, he's saying something even greater. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Bridge, the ultimate reason that we need to protect our marriages, the whole point of cultivating sexual intimacy with your spouse is that from the beginning, sex was meant to refer to Christ and his church. It's not, it's not that this came afterwards, like God made sex and marriage and then later on thought, oh, you know what? Christ and his church are kind of like that. No, he's a, when he made it, when, when he created it, God said, this would be a beautiful picture of something even greater. As great as sex is, it was always meant to point to the even greater, even more intimate union of all believers with Jesus Christ. And this is why even singles need to care about faithfulness in marriage. It's why we as a church need to be strengthening each other, encouraging each other to hold marriage in honor among all. Because one day, as great as it is, marriage is going to pass away. And all of us, whether married or single now, all of us are going to enjoy the glory and fullness of eternal union with Christ. That's our great hope. That's why we need to hold marriage in honor right now, why we need to, to be creating these images of faithfulness in our own homes. These are pointing forward to something greater. But it's not just about you. It's always been about Jesus. And so I'll end by reading again from our call to worship, Revelation 19 which is a picture of what marriage points to, a vision of our sure hope. This is a picture of what we'll all be celebrating together in, in the future, one day. Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, crying like the roar, or like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Bridge, that's our hope. Put all your hope in that. Strengthen your marriages. Guard against temptation. Stay far from the forbidden woman. Not just for your sake. Not just for the sake of your marriage or for your spouse. Because this is a picture of what's to come. Let's pray. <laughs> Dear Lord, we come before you in fear and trembling knowing that this is a mighty task for all of us. And we married folks, we know how hard it is to stay true, to cling 
and hold fast to just one. But God, you are faithful to us even as we have been unfaithful to you. Even in our idolatry, our adultery, God, you have clung to us. And God, one day, our clothes will be washed white. Our linens will be made pure. God, one day, we will celebrate at the marriage feast of the Lamb. We will celebrate with you. God, help us to hold on to that right now, to have a vision for that right now. God, to look forward to what is coming. God, strengthen the marriages in this room. God, strengthen these couples. Keep Satan far at bay so that we might honor each other and honor you. We need your help in this, Lord. And so we pray in Christ's name. Amen.